Hi, this is Dan Sullivan, and I'd like to welcome you to the next episode here of Exponential Wisdom with my great partner in abundance, Peter Diamandis. And just, Peter, before I bring you on, I would just like to say that about 10 years ago, 11 years ago, I read a book review in the Wall Street Journal. And the journal is one of my go-to sources for dependable book reviews, and it was a book called Abundance by Peter Diamandis. I read the book, and I looked you up, and then Joe Polish, who introduces everybody to everybody, had contacted you, knew you, had joined the board, I think, of XPRIZE, and introduced the two of us. And that's the beginning of our A360 collaboration and our exponential wisdom. So, Peter, you were the who the abundance who that I was looking for decades ago. And it's been such a pleasure being able to do teamwork with you. My pleasure as well, my friend. My pleasure as well. It's hard to believe the book Abundance is over a decade old. Mm -hmm. And I've just been talking with my co-author, Stephen Kotler, about redoing the book on the 10-year anniversary because the evidence for abundance has gotten so much stronger. Mm -hmm. And if it's okay with you on this episode of the podcast, I'd like us to chat about mindset, in particular, an abundance mindset, what is it? How do you get one? And what's the value, importantly, of having an abundance mindset? Because an abundance mindset, I find, is scarce. <laughs> like a scarcity <laughs> mindset is being abundant. And I'd love to flip that in people's minds. Peter, here's a question right off the bat for you. How is it that people can actually enjoy the benefits of abundance, but have a mindset of scarcity? Yeah. It's true, right? Because we are living in an extraordinary age of abundance. We have access to more of anything and everything instantaneously than we've ever had. But people end up with a scarcity mindset. My mom is a fan of this podcast. So hi, mom. Got to do a shout out there. But she and you know her parents, I think probably Dan, your parents, yep. you know, grew up during the Great Depression. And it was so much scarcity in their lives, mm -hmm. evidence of scarcity that it drove into their brains and wired them for a scarcity mindset. Mm -hmm. You know, don't leave any food on the plate, turn off the lights, you know, all of these things are one bath a week. One bath a week, yes. And so, you know, overwhelming evidence shapes your mindset. And as I talk about mindsets, I think about those of you who are familiar with machine learning algorithms, you train a machine learning algorithm and AI by giving it example after example after example. And those sort of equivalents of a neural net get shaped by those examples. Mm -hmm. And in the same way, if you're in a family or in a conversation or in a situation where you're constantly being like, you know, not enough to eat, not enough to go around, not enough of this, you train your brain to think in a scarcity mode. Mm -hmm. And there's downsides to a scarcity mode and upsides to an abundance mindset. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what I want to dive into because I think people need to realize that and choose an abundance mindset and choose to train their minds in that way. When you were younger, were you influenced on the scarcity road to life, but you did a cutoff at some point? Can you remember kind of what the cutoff was? Yeah, for sure. I definitely Grew up in a very traditional family. My parents both born in Greece, their parents as well. And a century ago, right, in 1921, 
through the 1920s and 30s, scarcity was the norm into the 40s, into the World War II and so forth. So not enough to eat, not enough whatever. I grew up in a, an incredible childhood, but it was really about 12 years ago when I was at Singularity University starting it in conversations with Ray Kurzweil and the faculty there. And the realization was, wow, technology is turning everything that used to be scarce into abundance. Mm -hmm. And it was a little over a dozen years ago when I was just getting Singularity University up and going that I realized, and this was with Ray Kurzweil, a member of the faculty in Silicon Valley, that, you know, incredibly technology was a force that was turning whatever was scarce into abundance over and over again. And as I looked at it, there was no category at all that wasn't becoming more abundant. Mm-hmm. And it was shocking. And that really became the seeds to writing the book that you open up this podcast with, Abundance, the Future is Better Than You Think. Mm-hmm. And people go, really, every category? I mean, mm-hmm. every category? I said, yeah. What about time? How is time? You know? And I said, well, you know, we're first of all, one of the things that we're doing is that we're basically allowing ourselves to live longer, which is giving us more time on the back end of our lives and how we use our time is becoming more and more efficient. Mm -hmm. So that's extraordinary. Like, you know, it used to be that if I wanted to go and find out any information, I'd have to go to the library and it would take me hours to go and find the information. Today, it's there all the time. Mm -hmm. With good directions. Yeah, Peter, one thing that was very impactful was a comment that you made about not necessarily a wealthy person today, but sort of average, and they have an average lifestyle, and they make their money in a sort of an average way. But what they have supporting them, if you think of all the technologies and the systems and the programs that are supporting them, it's equal to what a, an emperor or a monarch had two or three centuries ago with a lot greater guarantee of health, with a lot more guarantee of longevity than they ever had. And some of them say it's like 2,000 servants. I mean, even automobiles, their power was measured in the number of horses that you had working for you, you know. So, Dan, I want to ask you a question. What do you think the advantages of having an abundance mindset is? Well, I think the big thing, if it's combined with your own ambition. So the only question is, do you have ambition to actually take advantage of abundance? So my sense is that if you have an ambition to have a bigger and better future for yourself, then your eyes will pick up and your ears will pick up on information of great new capabilities, especially great new resources. I think it's driven by whether the person themselves has plans for themselves that would make abundance really important to them. In other words, that there's an abundance of whatever they strive for in the future that's bigger and better, the bigger and better capabilities and resources are actually out there. I agree. I think, you know, if you've got a scarcity mindset, if you miss a deal or you miss an opportunity, you're like, oh, you're just like, I'm so angry. I missed that. And if you have an abundance mindset, and it's hard because we're not wired that way, you say, no problem. There'll be a much better and bigger deal next mm-hmm. year, that the world is a constantly increasing universe of more and more opportunity, more and more 
deals more and more capability every year. Yeah, it's really, really interesting. I was in a conversation several weeks ago, and I said, you know, there were four things that happened right after the Second World War in the United States, which actually produced the country that we're living in right now. And they said, what was it? And I said, well, actually, it's interesting, but the biggest one was the interstate highway system. And I said that it made the country instantly national in terms of if you were a manufacturer, that you could speedily get your products and services right across the country. And people would travel, the amount of travel that people would do after the interstate highway system. Then the other one is that air conditioning actually made a huge difference because it made the South and the West really good for manufacturing. Up until then, it was the East and the Midwest, a little bit in California, but mostly the South, and especially the South, simply because during the summer, plants would be very, very uncomfortable. You really couldn't do it. And then the third one was the GI Bill. 12 million Americans served in the armed services, and they came back. They got two deals. One is they got almost free university training, free technical college training. The other thing is that they got really cheap home loans. And so people who would have come back from the war and gone right back to the same neighborhood, go right back to the same job, and it wouldn't be any different after the war, before the war, got education and expanded their horizons. And then with the house loans and the combination of air conditioning and the interstate highway system, all of a sudden they said, you know, maybe I could move here. Maybe I could do this. Yeah, the velocity of their lives increased. Yeah, and the third one was the three national television channels that came in in the early 50s. For the first time, there was sort of a national media consciousness that had never been there before. So it's hard to say which one was most important because they were all happening at the same time, but they reinforced each other. I was born, you know, I was born late in the war, 44, but when I was really conscious, this stuff was happening. And my mother was a very optimistic person. And she said, you know, there's lots of great things happening out here. And I have to tell you, Peter, I mean, just a difference that you get from your mother. One day we were talking and she said, you know, when you graduate from high school, you're not going to settle down around here. You're not going to live around here. You're going to go off and explore the world. And it was like marching orders for me at 10. Remember, as soon as you graduate, you have to go. And two days after I graduated, I moved from Ohio to Washington, D.C. I had a job all set up. And life began. Yeah. And she didn't know what was coming. I mean, she didn't actually know the changes that were going to take place. But I think to a certain extent, she would have wanted to do that when she was 10 years old in 1920. Mm. But she was a girl. There was no money. The attitudes were, you know, there's not enough money for everything. And I think she spotted me because I got unusual treatment from her. And I said, good, got to get ready to go out in the world. Got to get ready, you know. You can't pack too soon for this trip, you know. (laughs) (laughs) So I see abundance beginning as a cultural norm where you can get an education, where you can get a home, where you can start affording things. And what we're doing right now is we're demonetizing and democratizing everything. So, you know, my two nine-year-old boys who on the weekends when they play video games have an infinite number of video games effectively for free to play. And as long as they don't do their in-game 
purchases. It's free and it's fun and it's available and you have access to all the music you want, all the entertainment you want. And they're growing up in a life of massive abundance. Mm -hmm. There's very little scarcity in their lives. And I wonder how that's going to change the next generation. Yeah. Well, there's another one I think that has emerged, not that you're going to add it to your list of six, but de-distancing. There's been an enormous de-distancing. Yeah, it's like a location, right? Yeah. Where you can be any place on the planet instantly and your employee can be in Singapore if they're willing to work, you know, during their nights. Well, they're used to it. People in the Far East are surprisingly more adaptable to other people's time zones. Peter, what about scarcity of meaning? Because I think that part of your mission is to actually give meaning to the abundance. So it's interesting. I'm always looking for what is scarce and will remain scarce. I think that's a interesting question to ask. I think giving I think meaning to a large degree is contextual. I'm not sure how to answer your question, Dan. What do you think about the scarcity of meaning? Well, first of all, one of my interpretations, you know, there's a a movement in the world that says, yes, all this abundance is actually destroying the planet. Mm. That's interesting. And let me take that on because I think it's important for people to realize they think about environmentalists and such. Well, as we're heading towards an abundance of energy, for example, the way to get to an abundance of energy is actually to give up petrochemicals. It is to go to solar, right? We're living on a planet that's bathed in, in six to 8,000 times the amount of energy we consume as a species or wind and effectively renewables, even nuclear, but it's controversial. We can talk about that some other time. So we have the ability to do massive good for the environment by going to actual abundance there. Abundance of food, a lot of the food that abundance plans are actually stopping the level of farming we're doing because we are deforesting the world to feed the world and to feed our you know cows and goats and sheep and chicken and so forth. And some of the technology that's coming online right now is like cellular agriculture. Can you, in fact, instead grab a stem cell from an ahi tuna or from a Kobe beef and grow that protein source a hundred times more efficiently and cheaper and better for you and do it in downtown Nairobi or downtown Detroit? And so there are interesting ways to create increased abundance that's better for the environment. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a lot of the challenge we have today. Yeah. One of my coach entrepreneurs is Alex Epstein. And he said, you know, in the scheme of things, it doesn't matter what is the energy source that you're using. He says, I'm not favoring any energy source, but there's three things that have to be true about the energy source. It has to be cheap, it has to be plentiful, and it has to be abundant right now. Yeah, I mean, there's a direct correlation between the GDP of the world and the amount of available energy. Yeah, and Americans, I mean, one of the things why Americans have an abundance that on a per capita basis, Americans have twice as much energy available to them as individuals, or they use twice as much energy as the rest of the world. Europeans, which are considered a modern 21st century people, on a per capita basis, they only use half the energy. And they said, well, they're much more sensible. I said, no, you're not sensible with energy. You use the energy that you have available to you. Yeah. So it's really an availability thing. Yeah. 
You were talking about why someone would have a scarcity, and I mentioned that if you have a belief that the abundance, the technological development, and the great conveniences, the great new capabilities we have is actually destroying the earth, then you would not see abundance as a great thing. And I think the other thing is that historically we've been in a uniquely different period of time, at least since last March. What I've noticed is my entrepreneurs have had a great thriving. So I had a group, I talked with hundreds of them every week, and they actually like what they've gone through because it's been a real challenge. And they said, you know, before this, things were really comfortable, things were really convenient and everything else. And this has really been great. I've really had to sort out a lot of things in my life about what is dispensable and everything. So I think that goes along with the meaning thing. But do I actually have an experience that makes me feel like I'm really being a growing, a transforming human being? And I would say almost to a person that our entrepreneurs and strategic coach say, in the future, I'm going to look at this as one of the great personal change periods of my life. Absolutely. A lot of the folks I speak to, I mean, Putting aside people who've had economic harm and especially those who've had physical health related issues, it's been transformative for everybody else. I mean, I know I've never worked harder. I've never been more intense. You know, one of the things that's interesting, Dan, is most people don't realize is this past year, 2020, was the peak year ever for investments, Mm -hmm. even during the pandemic. There's more venture capital investments than any other year. Those are seeds that were sowed that will result in a brand new crop of extraordinary companies that are transforming education and retail and restaurants and healthcare and all of these things. And it's during these hardships, and you know this, whether it was the Black Plague or whatever, that you birth new generations of extraordinary companies. Yeah, and one of the things I've noticed, because I know you're not a news follower to the degree that I am, but I don't watch television. I'm close to my third year now without watching television, and that's taken a lot of negativity out of my daily life. But I do follow the news on the Internet, and one of the things I've noticed, and it's been really, really peculiar, that the jump to virtual conferencing for businesses, especially in the entrepreneurial world, has been an unbelievable change. I can say that for Strategic Coach itself. I can say that for Strategic Coach clients. I know Abundance 360 and what you're doing with it. And there's been no news coverage for this amazing new capability. And my feeling is that None of the news reporters, their future is attached to this new economy. It's attached to an old economy that's getting bypassed. Mm. And they're personally negative because their personal occupation, their personal economic future is threatened. I mean, I really do see the news media as really living in a scary world that's getting worse. Yeah, I think for sure. It is interesting that during this time where we've been forced to retrain ourselves, we've made the jump to new mechanisms for interacting and found them to be pretty damn valuable and useful. I remember during the beginning of the pandemic, people were saying, well, when is this going to end? Or when do we go back to normal? And of course, that's not going to be the case ever. Yeah. 
Well, besides that, my clients have had an exciting, challenging year that they've transformed. There's a sub theme that's come through almost every meeting that we have, and they say, I hope this doesn't end too soon. <laughs> yes. And we can talk about the pandemic and vaccines. I've been deep into that. Here again, it's mindset. Yes. You know, I mean, there's a lot of mindset attached to how quickly you're going to buy into the solution. There are certainly mindsets that are against that. Here's a question just to kind of wrap up this session. Honestly, from the moment that you got the no alternative news that your normal previous transportation life, you have had the most intense transportation life of any individual <laughs> I've ever known before this. Honestly, when you got you know the certainty early March somewhere, how long did it actually take you to make a complete shift in how you operated and then how your companies operate? How long did it take you? Yeah, I mean, it was two weeks. It was that for you as well. Yeah. I mean, personally, just mindset, I switched on the plane ride home from Chicago. We were told at five o'clock on Friday and by Saturday morning, I said, okay, it's going to be a Zoom world and we got to get ready. The company switched in two days and we were out with a new form of coaching event in 10 days afterwards. And it's been steady virtual. And we created a whole new virtual global where we have 106 new clients in three workshops and they love it, you know, and our team loves it. So here's the thing. My feeling is that you do a fast turnaround if you've done a lot of preparation of mindset long before the challenge. That's a good point. If your mind is fertile for this, when you see the opportunity, you jump and you land and you accelerate faster than anybody else. The other mindset that I spend time on, maybe we can talk about next, is the exponential mindset, right? Yep. An abundance mindset. And just to summarize for folks here, an abundance mindset is one in which when you look and you get a sense that something is scarce, you can flip your mind and say, well, how could it be abundant? The example I use is that in a scarcity mindset, you have a single pie, and the more people it needs to feed, you slice it to thinner and thinner pies. In an abundance mindset, you say, hell with that, we're just bake more pies, right? The technology allows you to create more and more. And when you have that abundance mindset, you're looking at constantly, how do I create abundance in my products and my services, right? So as coach goes virtual, as Abundance 360 goes virtual, I can serve more people with an A360 virtual membership than I could in a physical membership. Mm -hmm. Same thing for yourself. And the other part, and I think you spend a lot of time with us, Dan, and Strategic Coach talking about collaboration. And in an abundance mindset, you don't hold all your cards. You get far more by collaborating with people mm -hmm. than you do competing with people. Yep. Great stuff. I tell people I was born in the Second World War. I went through the atomic bomb scare. I went through the polio scare, you know, and all the decades, the 50s, 60s, right up until this decade. And I have to tell you, I said, in terms of a change that affected me personally, affected everybody I was connected to, the last 10 months have been the most historically transforming 10 months in my life. I'm pushing 77, so I'm almost 77. That's amazing. I think about what could possibly outdo this. Eliminating disease. <laughs> yeah, or maybe an alien invasion. Um, 
<laughs> well, anyway, Dan, listen, always a pleasure. I just commend people, you know, think about an abundance mindset. You know, next time you feel scarcity, ask yourself, how could computation and sensors and networks and AI and robotics and AR and VR and blockchain transform this from scarcity to abundance? Because I'm clear that the companies that are going to succeed are those that learn how to do that, how to dematerialize, demonetize, and democratize their products and services. Because if you're not doing it, someone else will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Shall we maybe talk about an exponential mindset, one of these next ones as well? Yes, that would be great. I, I would love that. Yeah. And this one is not innate. You have to really, really rearrange your brain to think about exponentials because for the most part, you can get through your entire lifetime in linear thinking and linear measurements. And you've given some great models and brought in some great ways of looking at. So I'd be glad to actually explore those even further in the next podcast. Absolutely, my friend. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. Thank you, Peter.